Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions Family of Ministries and Services. Today I'm joined by Bruce Bauer. Bruce had served for a number of years in East Asia as director of SDA Language School in Japan. Actually, he he had done that for 15 years. He also served as president of Guam Micronesia Mission for five years and later also as president of Cambodia Mission. Later, Bruce had taught at the World Mission Department at Andrews University and had been its chair for many years. Bruce, very excited to speak with you today. Welcome to the IWM podcast. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be here with you. So, Bruce, we got together today to discuss contextualization. Now, this is a big topic. It's a famous word in missions. Not just a word, it's a famous concept, and as any big word or concept, it has been misunderstood or understood in many different ways. Has this been your experience? Yes, I think it's a good word, but like you said, it's been misunderstood a lot. There are some people that think that contextualization means to water down the gospel, uh, take out the the difficult, Mm -hmm. challenging parts of what Christ demands of us, and give them a watered-down version of what the Word says. But that's a caricature. That is not what contextualization is. I often define contextualization as presenting the eternal principles of God's Word Mm-hmm. in understandable ways. So let's 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 take it step by step. Okay. Um for let let's just start with culture. Okay? So my first uh question contextualization has to do with culture a lot, right? It's it's at the heart. So my first question for you <clears throat> is this, why does the church need to understand culture? Not just the church, um, our audience, or the missionaries, the, the expatriate Adventist workers in many lands. So why is it important to understand culture? Well, culture is who we are. You have a Kyrgyz, Russian, German background. Sure. And I have uh, an American, Japanese, Guam, Micronesia, Cambodian background. Right. All of our experiences shape who we are, how we communicate, even how we read the Word of God. Because our culture helps us to see things in the Word and keeps us from seeing other things in the Word. Mm -hmm. So our culture is so pervasive that many times we don't even realize that we're from a culture until we go to another culture. Then we realize that there are differences. Mm -hmm. So culture just, it shapes us in so many ways that uh, if we don't understand culture, we're in trouble as missionaries. I often tell my students, You need to do double exegesis. You Mm -hmm. need to exegete the Word of God, really understand it so that you know. But then you need to exegete the culture so you know what are the big barriers for the people in that cultural setting to hear the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And how do you minimize those by carefully presenting a step-by-step approach? You don't start with the hardest first. You start with common ground and then helping them to see how God can really make a difference in their life. I have, I have maybe um, a, a difficult question, Bruce. Is it possible for a missionary 
who maybe been through a mission institute. And of course, we talk a lot about culture and, yeah. and cross-cultural work in the mission institute. So we, we, we all have it cognitively. Yeah. Is it possible for a missionary to, to be in a country in a different culture and uh, work and do things as if oblivious to, to the culture out there? Has, have, have you seen this? Yes, because most missionaries go out when they've been in their home culture for 25, 30 okay. years, and you have three weeks in Mission Institute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you do a good job in Mission Institute to uh, introduce them to concepts and, and topics, but our culture is powerful. It teaches us to do certain things. It teaches us to see certain mm -hmm. things, and it's we're all ethnocentric. Right. And you think of what that means. Our culture has taught us to feel superior about our ways. It has taught us to see certain things and not see other things. And so, yeah, I think Mission Institute of Three Weeks is fantastic. And you guys do a fantastic job. But that's why I think uh, continuing education, continual interaction, where we all have to overcome our, mm -hmm. our cultural biases, our ethnocentric ways, and it's a lifelong process. All right. Well, thank you for saying some good words about the Institute of World <laughs> Mission. That, that's, um, that's what we're definitely trying to do. And with these podcasts, with these episodes and other things, we, we, we want to be together with, um, with the missionaries out there, with the expat expatriate workers out there, so that we have the conversation going. Amen. You know? I, think it's, I think it's great. So I have my, my next question, Bruce, is this. Um, some people would feel that maybe it's possible to um, practice a culturally neutral Christianity and, and maybe even um, share a culturally neutral Christianity. What would you say to that? Oh, boy. That's a loaded question. Uh, I don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. The Adventist Church grew up in North America, and so much of what is done around the world is basically tainted, maybe that's a mm. bad word, or influenced, mm -hmm. strongly influenced by North American church practices. Uh, I just think that we have to realize that uh, what is the proper way of doing church in my home culture may not be the proper way of doing church in the culture that I go to. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking okay. about methodology. And uh, the different, for example, the songs we sing. If we sing Fanny Crosby and we sing uh, songs that have a North Atlantic, German, European, American influence in the singing, that's wonderful for the North Atlantic countries. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Africa and you say the only songs that we're going to sing are songs from the hymn book, Mm -hmm. It gives the people in that country the idea that unless you adopt the genre of Europe or America, that you really can't praise God. And I think that's a distortion of the gospel. So that's what we don't want to do. That's what we don't want to do. And that's when this war comes in. That's this, right. This concept of contextualization. You started saying... Um, what it is. Would, would, would you please share with us how do you define it and, and what is contextual? Well, I define it as taking the eternal principles that we find in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then we struggle to find culturally sensitive ways 
to communicate those principles. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> may I give you one example? Yeah, that could be very nice. Uh, many years ago in the church manual, it suggested that at a baptismal ceremony, that we have the candidates stand in front of the church mm-hmm. and we read the 13 articles of faith. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And they say yes, and so you go through that. Now, many churches in North America, and I don't know about Europe, but they no longer do that. But when I went to Japan, they were doing that. Mm -hmm. So the pastor would uh, ask the questions, and it was very, very uncomfortable. The Japanese uh, baptismal candidates would stand there with their eyes down, and you could tell from the body language that they were very uncomfortable. It was almost like they, be, they were being interrogated about their belief system in front of strangers because most of them hadn't come to church that much. Hmm. And uh, I said, there's got to be a better way. And so hmm. what I did, I rewrote the baptismal statements in first person, singular and plural. And if there were several people being baptized on a day, they would read the statement, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I had copies given to all the members in the church, and they would respond, I believe that too. So that would cater to people's... From a group conscious society. And it totally changed the dynamic. To me, that's contextualization. Where we want to present everything that's important in the Bible, but we want to do it in in a... in a sensitive way that that affirms the people within their culture too. Mm-hmm. Bruce, I know that you have gone um, in the fields that you have served through a very careful process of faithful contextualization. I would love you to share just a little bit of, of what you and the pastors who worked with you had done so you could actually share the story and the Um, uh, in in the minutes that we have here together. Before we do that, though, um, there is this phrase, faithful contextualization. So not just contextualization, but uh, faithful contextualization. What what do we mean when we put faithful in it? I think, to me, faithful means you're faithful to the biblical message. You're not Mm -hmm. distorting it. You're not watering it down. You are faithful to the Word of God. And as a missionary, uh, it's always been my desire to help people be deeply committed followers of Jesus Christ. And you do that by getting them into the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And so faithful contextualization is where we, well, the Word of God is the basis for anything that we do. And yet some people have the idea, and some people have... have done contextualization where they have allowed a lot of cultural practices that go against biblical principles to exist. Mm-hmm. And and they say, well, we're working for the second or third generation. I, I think that that's not faithful contextualization. So what contextualization is then, the faithful contextualization? Everything in a given culture that does not go against the Bible, the biblical principles... We keep that. Yes. Let me give an example from Cambodia. When we got there in 1997, the church was very young. They had not developed uh, an Adventist wedding Mm -hmm. ceremony. And so what we did at a workers' meeting, all morning long, I divided the group into groups of four, and I had them write down everything that happens from a time uh, a couple is engaged until they're married. 
all the different parts. And in Cambodia, they had wonderful wedding ceremonies. Sometimes it could last two or three days, and it was like part one, part two, part three. And there's a lot of eating and fellowshipping and stuff like that. And so they wrote down the pastors, Mm -hmm. 17 pastors uh, were involved in this. I I suppose those were local pastors. Yeah, these were all Cambodian pastors. They wrote down everything that was done. And then I asked the question, what parts of this wedding service goes against any biblical principle that you know of. And there were very, very few things that went against, but we modified a few things. For example, one of the acts or one of the parts of a wedding ceremony was where the bride would kneel in front of her husband and wash his feet to show that she was going to respect him. Mm -hmm. Well, we were out in a village the first time we tried this. After she had done that, she sat in a chair and her husband got a basin of water and washed her feet. And you should have heard the buzz go through that crowd. And we asked them, what do you think? And they said, well, this is good. We should respect our wives, too, our, our women. So we didn't destroy that aspect, but we added a biblical element where husbands and wives are supposed to love and respect each other. So what you're just um portraying to us is that faithful contextualization has three things. It's removing what's unbiblical, yes. keeping everything that does not go against the yes. Bible, and maybe modifying Modern. some things. Yes. Now, with this modification, um, this is probably the, the trickiest part, right? It is. We, as, as Adventists, we would rather put aside everything that maybe even remotely be dangerous. Yeah, there's another element of the marriage that we thought was acceptable, and we used it for many years, and that was the lady had a string tied to her wrist that went to her parents, and the groom had a a string uh, around his wrist that went to his parents. The Buddhist monk would cut those strings and tie them together. Uh, We thought initially that we could use that. And when we read, when we did that, when we cut the, when we had the pastor cut the strings and tie them together, we read the text that uh, we should leave father and mother and the two become one. And we actually had Cambodian people say, we never knew what the meaning of that was. So we, we poured the biblical meaning into that act. Later, there were some who said <clears throat> that that part was too Buddhist. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that if you pour the biblical meaning into it, you can reinterpret even something was done. But for the large part, that aspect is no longer done in Adventist weddings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm an outsider, so I'm not going to criticize that. But I think that a lot of things can be changed if you put the biblical meaning into it. So <clears throat> here um, where a lot of our listeners find themselves, they, um, they are in ministry contexts, mm-hmm. uh, which could be universities or... Um, uh, hospitals uh, or um, ADRA offices or many other, maybe uh, maybe our church offices of, of many kinds. Um, how can uh, a missionary out there be practicing faithful contextualization when they are not in the position of bring you know of bringing all the pastors together and and and, and initiating this large process mission wide? How can it be done more on a personal level in the interactions with neighbors and and, uh, and friends who are local. Well, let me speak to a little bit different thing, and then I'll get back to that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a missionary going out, I think, could first of all apologize 
to the local church and tell them, we're sorry that the North American church has dominated so much of your church life. Mm -hmm. We want to give you permission to be Adventists within a Brazilian context or Adventists within a Lebanese context Mm -hmm. or Adventists within uh, a Ghanaian context. And I think part of it starts by missionaries apologizing that we have exported a lot of North American ways and said this is the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the first step. The other thing... And then back to your question, how can we model? I think we can start by accepting local dress. Hmm, You think of one of the things that we exported from the West, and that's a black suit on Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And yet many parts of the world, they have beautiful dress-up dress Mm -hmm. that they wear in special occasions, and it doesn't have to be a suit. So I think a missionary could say, could start wearing... Some of the national clothing. Some of the national clothing. Yeah. Uh, learn the language, of course. I mean, the best way to contextualize is learn the language because the language carries the culture and, and informs the, on the culture, and uh, those are important things. Bruce, there is a term uh, that I often hear, helicopter mission. Yeah, yeah it's missiologists that are using this. Um, but I think it's portraying a very interesting concept that uh, a lot of our listeners would, uh, would, would be glad to find out what's behind this idea of a helicopter mission. Maybe you need to explain that. Uh, what, what does the term mean? <laughs> what, does it mean where you, you just drop in on a, on a culture and you stay a very short time and then you uh, leave again? Is right. It... Just, just what you were maybe talking just right now, um, in, importing, how... How are we continue doing this, importing? You see, right now, mission is from everywhere to everywhere. Yes. It's not just that the, the North American church is guilty. It may very well be that... Um, uh, Filipinos. You know, right. Brazilians. To, Koreans, Russians, yeah. Germans, I anyone. Mean, yes. What the tendency is, when we as missionaries go to a new place, uh, we take with us our thinking on what, how, what the right way to do church is. Mm-hmm. The songs we sing, the, the, what we wear, uh, the order of service, uh, whether we do certain things or not. It's easy to be ethnocentric in those areas and think that our way is better than their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the downside of that is that when the people in the local culture see these foreign imports, the church looks foreign. Mm-hmm. I believe that Christianity is for all people in all cultures and that we need to reduce the foreignness as much as possible. For example, what we wear on Sabbath. If the only people in a society that wear a suit are people who go to church on Sabbath, but the local people don't, then we've added a foreign element. If we sing foreign songs then we've added a foreign element. If we have a foreign architecture style, we've added a foreign, uh, another barrier that Mm -hmm. keeps, and they look, people walking by our churches on the outside, they look at all this and they say, well, that must be a foreign religion. It it doesn't, it's not something for me. Mm -hmm. So part of why I think it's important that we struggle with doing good contextualization, faithful contextualization, is I want the church that we plant in all these cultures to look like it belongs in that culture. We're not changing the beliefs, 
but we're changing the appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's it's simple stuff like the songs we sing, the uh, architecture style, the way we dress. Uh, these are things that are not dictated by the gospel. Maybe I'd, I, I could also extend this, these examples that you're bringing to... What, what I'm getting at is that many of our listeners have nothing to say over the, the architecture of the church right. out, out there. However, when they bring their guests in, the local people, you know, yes. they, they invite them over and they would, you know, definitely have perhaps an evening worship yes. as they do it in the family together with their guests. Yes. Now the question comes, are they going to do it in their Korean or Japanese or German way? Yep. Um, or American way, or they are going to try to create a, a meaningful spiritual experience in such a way where people, their guests, their local guests can connect. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, if you invite guests to your home, let's say that you're a Korean missionary in Mongolia. Right, okay. And uh, you invite guests into your home. What kind of songs are you going to sing? Are you going to sing Korean favorites? Or are you going to encourage the church in Mongolia to write in the genre of music in Mongolia, uh, music that portrays Adventist distinctive beliefs? When I was in Cambodia, we, we did a hymn book, and it's mm-hmm. 83% Cambodian tunes with Christian words. It's probably the most contextualized hymn book in Adventism. That's Where, amazing. Whereas in most countries, they have imported Western music. And a lot of times, well, I could ask you, do you like Chinese opera? <laughs> I can't stand that music. But I wonder if when people in China listen to our Western music, I wonder if that grates on their ears. Yeah, Bruce, I believe that a lot of this can start in our missionaries' homes. Absolutely. In our homes. When we have a local family over Friday night and we want to sing something together, um, maybe maybe ask them to lead out and, and, and pick a favorite. You know, maybe... Yeah. Um, maybe pray in such a way or, or, or talk with them. How can we pray together? How do you pray in your culture? And just, just experiment with those things. Absolutely. It's, it's so simple. When I got to Cambodia, uh, the pastors, when they were praying, were scratching their eyebrows. Mm-hmm. And I said, what, 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 what is this? What, why are you putting your hands in, in, and uh, up on your forehead? They said, well... The missionary in the refugee camps in Thailand, they always had their, their hand on their forehead, and I thought that's how we had to pray. So it, it's little things. The Cambodians had a wonderful prayer posture. The, the hands put together right under the chin. Right, yeah. And uh, so we said, why don't we use the Cambodian prayer posture? And so it's little simple things, being willing to say, that instead of folding our hands on our lap, like many people do in the West, if you're in Cambodia, then you'd put your hands together under your chin in a prayerful position, and immediately that communicates we're praying. You know, what I, what I believe with all my heart is that when we just do those simple things, the kind of meals we share with our, with our local friends, the kind of prayers we pray, the kind of songs we sing, even if we worship together in our homes and how we worship, 
those little things and the bigger things. If we have influence, if our listeners do have influence on church services and so many other things that are being done out there, if we begin to walk down that road, what kind of dangers are we going to be meeting, Bruce? And that's going to be the last question. We're really um, having a few only minutes here. Um, I know if our listeners are going to get inspired, they will have some dangers awaiting for them. What are those and how to I think the biggest danger in this whole area of contextualization within the Adventist church is under-contextualization, not over-contextualization. We rarely have people that have gone too far and accepted too much of the local culture. Usually the model that I see all through Adventism is that we haven't done the difficult work of trying to use as much as the local culture as possible. We've gone into new places and we have just taken our our own cultural ways and said, this is the way we worship. Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily bad, but they don't fit. And so by not fitting, we have created artificial barriers to the gospel. We've created a foreignness uh, in that local cultural setting. My, my great desire is to have dedicated Japanese Adventists, dedicated uh, Nigerian Adventists, dedicated American Adventists or Filipino Adventists or Korean Adventists, but realize that we all may do church a little bit different, but we have basic biblical doctrines and principles that we follow regardless what culture we're in. And today we are inviting together our listeners to just make uh, those experiments, those um, um, those steps a reality in their very personal outreach and life and fellowship with uh, with those who are out there. Bruce, thank you very much for um, for speaking with us. Oh, it's today. been a privilege. And just a, a final word to all the missionaries out there: we really believe in what you're doing. Don't get discouraged if you make a few mistakes. Thank you, Bruce. This concludes the second episode of the IWM podcast. We at the Institute of World Mission are quite excited. This is a possibility of being part of this ongoing dialogue in the Adventist missions community. And with that, we'll be really happy to hear from you. Things like requests for topics, questions, simply feedback are all welcomed. Please contact us by writing to me at otta at gc.adventist.org. Now, if you feel this episode or any of the future episodes can be of interest to a specific person, a colleague or a friend of yours who's interested in the practice of mission, please share this podcast with them. We'll really appreciate you helping us spreading the word. Even though this episode can be heard by many weeks later, at the moment of airing it, we are entering the Christmas and the New Year holiday season. If you hear this in the next couple of weeks, we at IWM wish you abundant God's blessings. Let this season be a special opportunity for us to draw near to Jesus. It is a great joy to be able to begin things anew with Him. Happy Holidays, and see you next week.